everyone. Welcome to Creepy Inquiries. A podcast dedicated to all things creepy, spoopy, and true crimey. With your hosts, Miss Kevin and Edie, your friendly neighborhood queers. Boom. <laughs> ba boom boom. I'm just in a silly Hi. goose mood this morning. Me too. Such a silly I'm, goose. I'm in a real silly kind of mood too. Welcome everybody to episode 74 for your nerves. 74, 74, 74. Episode 74 is a wealth of celebs. Firstly, okay. it's the post-credit scene in the movie, and I'd like to tell you about the Avengers Initiative. Samuel L. Jackson is seventy-four. Mm. Uh, All right, yes, Sam. Badass, badass yes. way to start too with this yes. list. That's right. American Horror Story royalty. We got a two for here. Oh my Both God, yes. Jessica Lang and yes. Kathy Bates are seventy-four. Oh, what a yes. dynamic yes. duo! Yes. What a yes. duo they are. Oh God my damn, yes. yes. Icons only. Boxer and grill slinger George Foreman, all of whose children <laughs> are named George. George. He, he is producing a movie based off of his life that is about oh. to come out, and it's taking the serious route. Yeah, it's oh. like se- like serious. Like a rocky kind of story. Oh. Which well, is, that's I nice. wanted it to be fun. The best uh, part yeah. is that it doesn't seem to end with the boxing. It also includes a gritty retelling of his grill slinging. <laughs> yes, he was in his entrepreneurial era. Yes, that's his era. Sweating to the oldies, Richard Simmons. Oh, allegedly. And allegedly 74, <laughs> nobody's found him. He hasn't been seen in years. Years. But if he yet lives, he is 74. You know what? He has been drinking London Fog Lattes with Shelly Miscavige. And you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna close on. No, you know what? Before I get to the bad ones, Judith Light is 74. Oh, wonderful. And we have two baddies who have been in the news, two villains in the news. The first, look, taking money doesn't mean that you, like, took money, right? Clarence Thomas, 74. Oh, oh you old haggard piece of shit. Ugh. And Nick Cave's new best friend, King Charles uh, III, mm-hmm. is 74. Yes, he is, Nick Cave's <laughs> bosom buddy. I'm, uh, I'll never be over it. I don't think you should. It's very <laughs> off-brand. It's so off-brand. And you're outspoken about it. Keep fighting the good fight, Edie. I'm still in love with him. Hold people accountable when love. they need to. You can still love them. You can't no. choose who we love. There were so many biddies who were writing letters to Ted Bundy. You can't choose who you love. That's right. That's right. Well, that's a great list of people. You ended 
not great, but we had such high highs and there were a lot of low lows. And then George Foreman. So listener, check out our second favorite website after Bibliotheca Pleiades, famousbirthdays.com. <laughs> Heck check yes. out 74-year-old celebrities. It's great. All right. <laughs> That's what we do with our weekends when we research for this illustrious pod. We right. put in the work, folks. We do the work. That's right. And that's what we do with our weekends. But more specifically, Miss, what did you get up to this weekend? What did I do? Well, I started a new cross stitch for my niece's birthday. She's going to be 10 in June. So I wanted to make her something. So I asked my sister-in-law, fan of the pod, you know, what she would like. And she's like, honestly, anything cute. And she's kind of a narcissist. So she wants her name on it. And I was like, done. (laughs) Perfect. <laughs> so she's getting a cute little kawaii looking octopus. It's like in different cute. shades of purple, like big oh, eyes. Yes. Very, very cute. And I'm gonna oh, I can't wait to see it. it. So I did that. Then I've just been reading. I've been in a post-apocalyptic YA queer realm for like the last month. Yes. <laughs> I started one of those last night. This is like religious cult post-apocalyptic with like a cute trans and autistic lead. And I'm here for it. Wonderful. We love to see it. We don't love to see like a religious cult taking over, but we love to see the rest of it. No. In case anyone is interested, it is called Hell Followed With Us by Andrew Joseph White. So I've been good. So anybody out there struggling with your mental health, talk to your providers because I had a switch up this week that has made such a huge difference. And I've been doing a lot better. Congratulations to you. Yeah, Just end my segment with there's no shame in medication. If you have to get your serotonin from the store, that's perfectly mm-hmm. fine. Store bought mm-hmm. is fine. But uh, yeah. So if you're struggling, reach out to your providers. If you have them or get them, it'll make a difference. Mm-hmm. It's my PSA for this week. Fuck. Yeah. Edie, what did you do? Well, there are things that I can't talk about without doxing myself that yeah. happened this week. Ominous. Uh, Uncle Edie was slightly newsworthy, but like not yeah. in a fun way. And you were not the only one, too. Not actually Uncle yeah, Edie. Uncle Edie's not there out there the running the streets or anything. The story. <laughs> Look, I, I mean, I am the story. I am the moment. <laughs> now, come on now. Come on now. I am a teacher. I am a mentor. I am a Christian woman. I am a teacher and a mentor. <laughs> um, but Sorry. in in other news, yesterday was packed with social obligations. I mm. was positively bedeviled with meeting with <laughs> I've been rewatching what? a little Shit's Creek in that episode. Oh, I just rewatched the last episode. Delightful. I went to a a brunch at a neighbor's house who oh, Mr. Fake Name had been uh, getting to know, but who I hadn't met yet. And it was this whole like potluck. We li- it's I've never known my neighbors before in my fucking yeah. life, but Same here we know our neighbors, and it's pretty cool. And so I could only be there for a couple hours before I had to go to. My second social engagement, but that uh, sounds exhausting. 
Mr. Fake Name was at this gathering for fully 12 hours. It was a what? like an all-day hang set. Mr. Damn. Fake that was a Mr. Fake, Mr. Fake Name making is friends in our 40s. Mr. Fake Name is making friends in his 40s and I am I'm here for so it. I'm so into it. I am the good most God, here yes. for it that I've ever been. So it was good because my introverted ass could mm-hmm. leave. So that perfect Mr. Fake oh, Name God, could, yes. be, could be free to not have to worry about whether his partner wants to leave, which is like, uh-huh. mm-hmm. so he could be Amazing. there for 12 hours. And then my introverted ass had to go to my second social engagement mm. of the day, which was a lot. It was a, a gathering of ladies and non-binary people uh, in this club that I'm in. Oh, nice. Ooh. That's really nice. Cool. It was very nice. And speaking of Schitt's Creek, somebody had a Nalgene with a sticker on it that was Moira Rose's wig with the wig on it as a hat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so I was like, yeah, this is great. Uh, yes. So that was good. That was yet another potluck. So Uncle Edie made a lot of pots wow. yesterday morning. <laughs> it was gluten-free nice. and it was vegan <gasps> because I didn't know what – no, get everyone across have. that board. That's Hell right. yeah. And should yeah. pasta Beautiful. is fine. I it can is. go ahead it's and say that it's fine. Sure. No, is. I eat it yes, all the it time. Is. Yeah, it's fine. Finally, the last thing that I've been doing this week, I'm also in like, the, I, I'm always in the gay zone. I've been watching a lot of uh, Thai gay romance shows. Into it. Send me a list. They're very goofy. <laughs> yes. They're like mainly they're but they're popular in Thailand, which is like fairly conservative, but this whole like like subculture it's it's huge. very deeply popular. Yeah, huge, yeah. And I've been I didn't know anything about Thailand before. Their language is very bouncy. It's very like yes, it pretty is, yeah. and cool and I it's nice to learn about different I like international media because it's nice to learn about kind of uh, how different cultures see themselves yeah. and like how they yeah. how they portray themselves and it's nice to learn about different places I've sure. now, I'm never gonna go to Thailand probably yeah. but I'll be able to like get a little bit of a, a window into of it. it there's a YouTube channel for one of the like pr- production companies that makes it I think it's GMMTV currently watching Moonlight Chicken Hell yeah, Moonlight Chicken. It's about a guy who owns a restaurant that is uh, at risk of being demolished by developers. Dun, dun, dun. (gasps) And guess what? His super hot one night stand works for the developer. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, it's basically Thai, you've got mail, but they see each other. (laughs) But they like fuck right away. And then it's like navigating like whether there's really something there. Um, That I think so far has been Mm. the one that I've enjoyed the most. So I check out Moonlight Chicken. Adorable. Kevin, what's your deal? What's my deal? Uh, Over the weekend, I and Big Library, we went over to a friend's house and we watched the Eurovision Song Contest finale. Oh, Oh my God. Boy, was that. That was an experience. I enjoyed it. It's a lot. I watched it. And it was fun. Who what won? Is it like the finale. For like an American. Like explain it to an American. Because I don't know anything about it. it I mean, I know okay, I've heard so of it. I know what it is. Um, and like. it's more than just European countries. Each country 
can enter with a new song, can't be a cover or anything like that. And pop music Olympics. Yeah, I was just going to say. It's so it's not like just American pop. Idol, not the just Olympics. pop. No, not at oh. all. So it's it all? is the European aspect to it is strong. So, like Croatia's song entry this year was from a, I believe, like an anarchist group of counter culture yes. old guys that were yes. performing in their underwear. Yes. What? Old guys performing in their underwear. Yeah. I'm sorry. Does Eurovision fucking rip? Is it awesome? It's now on Peacock because I'm guessing Americans are being like, you know what? This is kind of interesting. So yeah, it's on Peacock if you're in the US. Not network interesting, but Peacock interesting. Yes. It was wild. It was what I was expecting, but also at the same time, it wasn't. And the best part, should I spoil it for you? If sure. you Spoil want to it. watch. Spoiler alert. Okay. The country that won was Sweden. Uh-huh. And the host whose house we were at, they're a married couple. And one partner is from Colombia and one partner is from Sweden. Cute. It was very great to watch Sweden win because oh. I got it spoiled by the fucking New York Times. I got a ping. You know what? Fuck the New York Times. <laughs> I got a push notification saying who won right as I was leaving to go and meet to watch it because we were watching it on a delay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ugh. Fuck the fucking New York Times. Yep. So the Eurovision was great. Had a lovely time. And that kind of brings me into the segue into my true crime story today. You know? Uh-huh. You know? Uh-huh. So you Eurovision sense, murder? You sent a series uh-huh. of gifts. Uh-huh. I did. From Weekend at Bernie's. I did. And you also sent a crown. Now, I have an idea. I didn't, I didn't. I I have an idea, but I, but now the Eurovision thing is throwing me off. Yeah. All right. In addition to the Eurovision contest, it was hosted this year by the UK, Uh technically hosted by Ukraine, but. Uh, You're not about to have it in Ukraine. Yeah, so the runner-up from last year was the UK, so they offered to host. The UK songs sucked. They were second to last out of like <laughs> 26 countries in the final. It was terrible. So it sucks for them. Camilla and goddamn Charles made a very brief appearance. Oh. It just looks so strange. It's weird. Very strange. They're lizards. They're cl- Have we not been paying attention to David Icke? They're lizards. That is true. Even Camilla. Lizard. Seeing... You know, Charles and Camilla waddling around in those, like, heavy crowns and capes. Like, it's just so It weird. looks like a cartoon. And movie. in case we've never made it explicit on this pod, this is not a stan account for monarchies. No, we're an anti-monarchy. Simply being born doesn't qualify you to run a country or worse, no. an empire. Yeah. Just because we still stand Nick Cave doesn't mean that we're monarchists. I don't know about that. Don't go that far, Edie. Yeah, no, we'll, that's we'll a get... personal belief by Edie alone. Yeah. (laughs) Every royal family is plagued by scandals. Yes, they are. And scandals mostly of their own creation, too. Like, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Today, I am going to talk to you about one such scandal, and that occurred in the year of 1889. And how that royal family decided on some pretty harebrained schemes to conceal the scandal, but ultimately, truth will out. Does that ring any bells for you, Edie? Okay. I'm thinking of something t- – I was thinking of something totally different. Totally different? Oh, my God. Tell me what totally you were thinking. Totally different. 
I was thinking of something that I will probably do a story. I was thinking about um, a guy named Carl Tanzler. Who Carl Tanzler. Nope. nope. Miss would know Carl Tanzler. Yeah. I was thinking of a guy who fell in love with somebody and then she died and then he... Oh, no, no. Miss already no, did we, that. I did that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah Miss yeah. did that story. Oh, yeah, then I yeah. want to Carl Tanzler. I was thinking about yeah. Carl Tanzler. Oh, okay. Ooh, good thing we talked about it then. <laughs> good thing we talked about it. Yeah, I royal family 1889 not ringing any bells yet no Mm -mm. bells all right well i'm about to ring some the austria empire which encompasses modern day austria Austria, hungary bosnia and other central european territories at that time was ruled by emperor franz josef and his wife empress elizabeth by this time franz josef has been ruling for about 50 years Wow. He ascended when he was 18, so he's been going strong. Franz and Elizabeth had four children. They had Archduchess Sophie, Archduchess Gisela. They had Crown Prince Rudolf and Archduchess Marie Valerie. What's an Archduchess? Like a, I think like a like a the most dukey duke. Ah, like yeah. if you're top duke. If you're, you're like, yeah, if you're the top duke, Got it. then you're yeah. Top enemy. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, all right. So as a sole male in the family, Crown Prince Rudolf was the heir apparent, and his is the story that we'll be discussing today, specifically the affair that 30-year-old Rudolf had with his 17-year-old mistress, Mary Vetsera. 17-year-old mistress. Look, it could have been a lot worse than 17. Could have been a lot worse. This We're talking 1800s, baby. It could have been so much worse than 17. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Rudolf was born in Vienna in August of 1852, and he spent his early years mainly with his older sister, Gisela. Okay. And the two were very close. But since he was born the sole male, Rudolf was technically a colonel in the Austrian Empire's army. That's not smart. And at six years old, he was sent off to start his training to become emperor. So he was That's put sick. with this instructor. Yes, to learn the ways of, I don't know, battle strategies, hierarchical structures, duty, all that shit. That sounds horrible. And wildly And it was. (laughs) Yeah, his education, quote unquote, began. I mean, also there was actual education too. He could speak five languages. He had a huge interest in geology and rocks and stuff. He was very debonair and good looking, yes, as I'm sure you're looking him up. (laughs) And uh, so, but this other part of the training, Rudolph really endured shit. It was torture. Like hazing? Yes. His instructor subjected him to water treatment, whatever no. that means. Like no. Waking up by pistol shot. No. What, to make him prepare? Being dropped off in the Vienna Zoo at night for, I don't know. No, no. That's how Harambe so, died. Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> So his instructor was a dude named Leopold Gondrecourt. He was French. Eventually, a colleague of Gondrecourt's noticed how much, you know, abuse he was really inflicting on young Rudolf. And so that colleague informed Rudolf's mother, the empress. She basically gave him an ultimatum, either lighten up on my son or you're out of here. And also, it's not like she loved her son all that much. They definitely had strained relationships as they often do in the royal yeah. families. He was like, ah, no, this is my instruction. 
So he gets fired. The trauma on young Rudolph was already done. And that's what happens when you declare your only born son a colonel, I guess, from birth. You that's give so a fucked. six-year-old military preparation training. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine mm-hmm. your no. alarm clock being somebody shooting at you? No. Shooting a gun no. near you. No. Edie, I can't imagine that at any imagine age. Imagine it. Imagine <laughs> it. Up. And that obviously leads to not great relationships with your parents what? on a number of levels, though. It also has the so, potential for making a not great adult. Oh, very much so. Very much. You hit the nail on the head, miss. Uh, I couldn't, but like, you know, it's, it's, it's as if you've read a history book. It's if I've it's if I've read a few of those. No, this dude's gonna grow up to like carve the titties off of people. Like this is not cool. <laughs> no. Yeah, he's never had not a chance. Not that brutal. Okay, fine. not that brutal. But he still that. never had a it's chance. True, you You're did right. tell me that we weren't going to Bummersville today. Okay, that's right. I sure did. We're not in Bummersville. We're also not in the friend zone. So I think what Miss suggested is we call it Middletown, Kansas. Yes, it is. <laughs> Because yeah. it's not great. It's, neither, it's, it's neither, neither here nor there. I'm sure it's fine. Yes. Middletown, Kansas, baby. So Emperor Franz Josef and his son differed on so many things, political or otherwise. Franz Josef was very conservative, although his reign was relatively peaceful. And I say that with a grain of salt. He sure. did as emperors have done for millennia and resisted democracy and any kind of political change that lessened his grip on power. Absolutely. Rudolph, as the heir apparent, he held more liberal ideas and he had strong opinions on how he was going to rule. Mm. Against the prevailing currents of the time, Rudolph wanted to modernize. Uh, He comes from the House of Habsburg. Of the Habsburg chins. Yes, indeed. From inbreeding, y'all. He wanted to abolish privileges of the aristocracy. He vehemently opposed nationalism. He did not like anti-Semitism, fought for liberalism, democracy. Ultimately, his political goal was a united Europe of liberal states. That's what I think Rudolph was Sounds like a fucking snowflake. (laughs) I mean, that's pretty radical for this time. Pretty radical. Some pretty cucked views. Very. <laughs> Very marinated or just cooked? <laughs> oh, I said cooked, cooked. my friend. Oh, not, not, not cooked. Show you where my brain's at. Cooked. No, that is why <laughs> like, I said it. You stewed him too I long. Hate you. He's been stewing too long. <laughs> uh, cut to 1881. Rudolph is 23 years old. Okay. He's married off to Princess Stephanie, who is the daughter of the King of Belgium. Although their marriage initially appeared to be a stable enough marriage, by the time their only child, the Archduchess Elizabeth, was born in 1883, two years later, the couple drifted apart. Rudolph began to drink heavily to escape. Yeah. Yeah. To escape his unchosen life. Unchosen life. What, did like bad things happen to him growing up? Was like, was shit rough for him? Was he like trying to escape? Like some past trauma. Does he feel like he has literal weight of the world on his shoulders? Yeah, that could really fuck someone up. And when you mix alcohol with that, plus an unlimited supply of women, yeah, and a twenty-something silver spoon nepo baby who's never been told no, affairs will yeah. occur. 
Yeah, yeah. he's getting it wet all over the place. Many affairs, in fact. So many that Rudolph wanted to write to Pope Leo VIII oh, to no. have him annul his marriage to Stephanie, but the emperor forbade uh, that. No. Okay, excuse you. <laughs> you can't you just can't... write to the pope. You can't annul a marriage once you've got a Yeah, he was just told no by the emperor, never got that far, so he just kept on going and kept on affairing. Sure. By 1886, both the spouses, Rudolf and Stephanie, were infected with gonorrhea, and that rendered Stephanie infertile. Oh, no. Love that! Not good. If I may be so bold, is that royally fucked up their life. <laughs> pun king. Pun king. Yes. Pun emperor. Pun emperor. <gasps> thank you. And you're the pun archduke, I guess. I'm the pun yeah. archduke now. Yeah. Because yeah. I was the pun prince. Duke X. So now I'm the pun Duke archduke. Right. The same year, uh, 1886, Rudolf bought a hunting lodge in a town southwest of Vienna named Meierling. I don't feel like good stories start out that way with a hunting. I know, right? No, this... This feels like Chekhov's hunting lodge. This feels like something mm. bad's going to happen at this hunting lodge. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was at this lodge that the trajectory of the entire course of history was altered. We will revisit this lodge very soon. Just know that in 1886, he purchased that, not just for hunting, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. You know. A little fuck lodge. That's what I'm saying, oh, folks. Wow. Cut to late to 1888. Two years later, Rudolph and Stephanie, they're still married, but really only on paper. She kind of really resents him for <laughs> diseasing her with an STI. <laughs> yeah, what? And, you know, stepping out. Wow. <laughs> Sounds yeah. like a bitch, Kev. Yeah. <laughs> Rudolph had a major affair with an actress at the time. Her name was Mitzi Casper. Mitzi and it was Casper. rumored that Mitzi was also a sex worker. All right. But that's I'm not sure. I don't Mitzi think Mitzi Casper is a deeply fuckable name. It's a oh, yeah. great name. Especially Mitzi the way it's Casper. spelled. M-I-T-Z-I-K-A-S-P-A-R. Yes. Caspar. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. That's a good uh-huh. Give me her number. <laughs> he was obsessed. <laughs> and it was said that Mitzi was the real love of his life. And I don't know if she felt the same way. Or what? But they definitely had a relationship. Bohemian artist with freedom, and he's this guy who's trapped in a life that he hates. In his severe depression, in his severe alcoholism, in his severe STI untreatedness, Mm -hmm. he spoke to Mitzi a few times about unaliving himself, and not only that, but he at least one time asked Mitzi to join him in that endeavor to which she sort of kind of laughed it off initially, but then she became convinced though, that he was serious about it and fearing that he would a truly hurt himself and b that the crown prince was, could be dead. She went to the police, but those reports were ignored and I cannot imagine why police might not have taken her. Why wouldn't they believe me? Let's see. Or Toxic on the other masculinity hand, strikes again. <laughs> I mean, yes, Toxic absolutely. masculinity strikes again. <laughs> or it could be that someone from the royal family got caught of it and just shut that shit Very well. down. Because yeah. yeah, they were like, all we're absolutely aware. not pursuing this. It would yeah, be better no. for him to be dead than yes. for this story to get out. Absolutely. Uh-huh. 
And that is a choice that all royal families have made for the beginning of time with those kinds of decisions. The story never went anywhere. Rudy becomes more depressed, more alcoholic, but he's he's still doing his duties, of course. Sure. He meets a 17-year-old Baroness Mary von Vetsera. V-E-T-S-E-R-A. Now that he's no longer with Mitzi, because I think she broke it off, is infatuated. Can't imagine why. Yeah, cannot imagine why. So he's infatuated, and young Mary, 17-year-old, her mother was uh, not a great mother to her. She was a Viennese aristocrat, and she had made it Mary's sole purpose in life to move up in society, i.e. move mama up in society. Yep. Understandably, Mary rebelled against that at times. And she too felt like her life was not hers and she had no control over it. When she and Rudolph met, they sensed that about one another. Yeah. And she, being a 17 year old at the time, meeting a 30 something, mm-hmm. she fell head over heels for him. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like you're finally seeing yourself reflected back in someone else. It's a big deal. Yep. And Rudolph was not shy about it either. Many people in Vienna knew, including Rudolph's parents and his wife, Stephanie. They had always known about his affairs. They knew Mary was definitely one of them. At this point, like, what impetus does he have to hide anything? Like, he's Uh just so deep in his addiction and so unhappy that it's just like, fucking whatever. Uh Mm-hmm. And we are now early 1889. It is January 29th. Emperor Franz Josef and Empress Elizabeth had hosted a family dinner party in Vienna before both of them were to leave for Hungary the next day. Mm-hmm. Rudolph excused himself earlier from the dinner, claiming to be indisposed. But what he was actually doing was leaving to the Meierling Lodge to meet up with Mary for mm. a rendezvous. He also said he had planned a hunting trip, too, for that weekend, yada, yada, yada. But Mary was also there. You know, he's hunting for puss. Mary loves... Hunting for puss. Mount it to the wall, baby. Oh, (laughs) mount it to the wall. Mount it to the wall, mount it on the table, mount it in the bed, mount it on the floor. Taxidermy. Stuff it. Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) Ow, what? Stupid. Disgusting. <laughs> We're so stupid. Animals. I hate us. So yeah. <laughs> Mary and Rudolph had met. It's the night of blah, blah, blah. Come morning, uh, Rudolph's uh. valet went to go wake him up, knock on his door, but there was no answer at the bedroom. Uh-oh. So he was knocking. He's like, I don't know what's going on. The valet mm. then goes to find the prince's hunting companion, whose name was Josef Oyos, who was a Mexican Austrian noble person, he too didn't get an answer at the door as he was knocking. They then tried to force the door, but the door wouldn't budge. Finally, the valet was able to smash a door panel with a hammer so he could reach inside the bedroom doorknob to uh-huh. reach and open it from that way. When he did, the room was dark because the curtains were shuttered. He couldn't see anything, so he goes to open the curtains. And that's when he finds Rudolph's body sitting on a chair next to the bed where Mary's body was. Oh, he was found on the chair, slumped over kind of, I believe, on the bed, but he was sitting on the chair. He had some blood coming out of his mouth. Mary was under covers. I believe she was naked on the nightstand. 
the valet saw a glass and a hand mirror. So his brain was automatically thinking, oh, poison. Oh, shit. The prince has been poisoned. But what he didn't look at, he didn't see that there were gunshot wounds on the chests of Mary and Rudolph. So he's like, oh, oh, fuck, poison. So he goes to get Oyos. He's like, fuck, fuck, poison, poison. And the chain of events starts going then where Oyos goes back to Vienna because it's not – Meierling is not far away from Vienna. I believe it's like 15 miles or so. And this was the morning of January 30th. He gets to the castle at midday. You need to uh, find the emperor empress because something happened. We have to tell them. One of the ladies-in-waiting of Empress Elizabeth was summoned. Get Empress Elizabeth out of whatever she's doing because we need to tell her something. And that's when the empress is told about her son. Oh, no. You know, she does cry. She she does become distraught, I'm sure, with a mixture of a lot of things that's going through her head, not just maternal instincts kicking in, but knowing the implications of the heir apparent dying. Yeah, he was the only male. That's right. He was the only boy. Indeed. Yep. And he only had a dumb, dumb daughter. (laughs) Oh, yeah, he did. Okay. He did, Mm -hmm. yeah. It was the empress that broke the news to the emperor. The minister for police was summoned at once, and Franz Josef's security services sealed off the scene at the lodge and summoned Mary's maternal uncles to the lodge to get her body out of there. They knew who she was, of course. The uncles arrive, and they say, you need to get her out of here without people noticing. Right. Now we're in the suitcase, baby. (laughs) They put a broomstick under her dress, no. and then they weekend oh, no. at Bernie'd the her Bernie's part. out of the hunting no. lodge into incredible. Yeah, everything yeah. is fine. No. She's really <laughs> floppy and scarecrow style, <laughs> and it's all fine. Uh oh, Mary had a lot of fun last night. Pop sunglasses on her. <laughs> sunglasses, yeah. <laughs> so that actually happened. I'm upset. That's so fucked up. <laughs> it's really. They couldn't is. get like a steamer trunk. Weren't steamer trunks everywhere? That is only, unfortunately, the beginning of a long history of Mary's remains being disturbed or oh, desecrated yeah. no let mary leave I, mary alone it's not surprising I mean, leave mary alone here's just a short list of what has happened to her since then the uncles go they find the nearest church they're saying hey we need to bury her the priest is like did she die of suicide they're like yes she's like well you can't do that and they're like please they don't please, know please. that why they say suicide oh because to cover to cover rudolph's oh. ass yeah. Oh, because they can't say they don't know. And they finally were able to convince the priest to let her bury in the pauper's area with the other suiciders. Or mm. sorry, that's not the right word. Where other people <laughs> had died. Sorry. Yeah. Two weeks later, once her mother found out about where her body was, had her be exhumed and buried in the family's plot in that Vienna. That makes sense. Cut to 1950s. Her body, the graves were kind of disturbed by the Soviet troops. She wasn't reinterred until 1959, but not until she was examined forensically. Since her death, there has been a lot of speculation, a lot to do because of the royal family putting out all these false stories. Yeah. But there was a lot of unanswered questions, meaning that there was rumors she was either shot in the head or she wasn't shot at all, or it was a murder, murder murder cover. 
I mean, like, yes. let it go. It's not our business. Yeah. So 1959, <laughs> she was examined. They didn't yeah. find any evidence of any gunshot wounds to the head. Her body okay. was interred in 1959. Come 1991. No. Jesus. A crazy weirdo dude who is obsessed with the story. Uh-huh. He robs the grave and steals her bones. Oh my God. Get a life, you fuckhead. Come on. He steals her? No. Steals the bones, tries to then sell him <gasps> on the black market. And then the police That's find so him. That's oh. so stupid. They finally interred her back in 1993, and she's been there since. Because wasn't she also a royal? She was a baroness, so she was in the aristocracy. Oh, okay. That was, like, too much disturbance to poor, poor Mary. I hope she's haunting all of them. God, me too. She better haunt that dude who stole her. Yeah. Yeah. So the royals start their cover-ups. Ultimately, forensics showed that Rudolph first shot Mary while she was lying in bed, and a few hours later, presumably because her body was already in rigor mortis when it was found, his was not. Okay. That he was um, sitting you, Kevin, in that chair. Rigor mortis. I think rigor mortis. Rigor mortis. It was a murder suicide pact because okay. both of them left final letters. Oh. oh, Mitzi wouldn't do it, but Mary would. Oh, yes. Well, she was as equally unhappy. Yeah, yeah. that's true. I mean. Yeah, fuck. And I'm sure she was influenced by him as well. Very much so. She was 17. Yeah, she's a little baby. She, yeah. she was infatuated by him. He was a prince. He was handsome. He was like yeah. twice her age. It, it, it really was. He, can, in a lot of ways, convinced her to go in on yeah. this pack together. And she had letters that she wrote to friends that confirmed she was so in love with him. She would do anything for him. And they were both very depressed. The prince mm. is inbred. <laughs> and so yeah. it's not it's never gonna help anything. Yeah. Yes. He's inbred. She's 17. Her brain's not fully cooked. Like this and is, his is overcooked. You know, his is overcooked. They're gonna make some <laughs> reckless decisions and not really necessarily think about the consequences. This is not a judgment on people who have been suicidal. No, I or mean who have attempted mm-hmm. depression is a hell of a disease, and it Truly. is uh, Yes. It is sometimes fatal. The royal family's first official statement about the incident was that Rudolph was found dead of an aneurysm. Yeah, that's a funny way of saying gunshot. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's what they were saying. They were like, look, this is what happened. We're distraught. But then foreign correspondents started descending on Meyerling, and that's when they found out there was a prince's mistress also implicated with his death. The story was blown oh. open. Okay. Crown had no choice but to change their initial heart attack line. Because they right. weekend and birdies her out of the building. So like yeah. even if she was alive at the quote unquote alive at the time, she was still there. And yeah. very strange to like be seen like that. I don't know who saw or what, but yeah, very weird and not Yeah, well I didn't executed. think about that. Regardless, she was there and people mm-hmm. knew that. Okay. People knew. The Crown had to do damage control for their initial statement, and the Emperor had no choice but to basically say, yes, um, they were both found dead. Rudolph was not of sound mind and body at the time. Leave us alone. He goes to speak to the Pope about getting his son buried with the rest of his family, because again, Mm -hmm. that's a no-no. He got the Pope to write him an exemption to the role because of his not being of sound mind at the time. 
So it's good to know friends in high places, I guess. Yeah. So so the Pope was like, hey, God, I have this extra special person. You are aware because this person is now dead. Can they take his bones and put it in this part of the earth? And the Pope was like, you got it, dude. But everyone else, all you poor fucks out there, no for you. you. No, and you're in hell. (laughs) So with that exemption, Rudolph's remains were interred with the rest of the royal family, but that went against his witches because in his final note, he did want to be buried alongside Mary, just as she wanted to be buried alongside him. That's never been done. But ultimately, this entire wild incident set off a chain of events that forever changed the course of history. Because once Rudolph died, that was a crisis. Yeah, Emperor Franz Josef had no, yeah, he had no immediate heir. So the next in line then became the younger brother of the emperor, who was named Archduke Mm. Karl Ludwig. Great, fine, but Karl died in 1896, long before the emperor's death. Now the next succession goes to Karl's son, who we all know as the Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Oh, of the band Franz so Ferdinand of the then, Scottish band Franz Ferdinand yes so yes. because this guy ultimately killed himself mm-hmm. we get World War One. that's wild fuck off that's that He's, is wild if he never yeah. did that then he could have not to say it wouldn't have happened but that exactly. would have not been the it wouldn't have happened this way that we yeah. know right who knows? Uh, it could have been way fucking worse for all of us. No, no, right? Yeah, who sure, knows? sure. It, yeah. he was, he, the he universe was not... of possibilities is wide open, but it wouldn't yeah, have happened man. the way that it the did. The way it with did. If Franz it Ferdinand getting shot, and then like countries in treaties yes. with each other scrambling to just like go to arms. We're fighting who? Huh? huh? Yeah. So takeaways from today's story: four of them. One: fuck the patriarchy. Fuck the monarchy. Mm-hmm. All of that tomfoolery that I was just speaking about was self-inflicted by the royal family to themselves. Yeah. 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 Number two, poor Mary Vetsera. No yeah, one yes. really loved her. She lost her life at such a young age, and it was such an unhappy short life at that. Yeah. Number three, test yourself regularly for STIs because yes. if left untreated, <laughs> your it's brain can really turn too much. Bad. Yeah. Yep. And then my last Takeaway brilliantly, if I do say so myself, circles back to <laughs> Mrs. earlier statement in the episode. See a therapist regularly, talk shit Please. out, seek help. That's fucking right. It's not that what you're going through is not as hard as it seems because it's exactly as hard as it feels to you. Yeah, but big time. But things become a lot less heavy when you have someone you can trust that you can share it with. Not just anybody. There's a true benefit to a professional, someone who can see, who is a truly objective person. Yes, Um, absolutely. And if that person suggests that you need medication, you can trust that person. So, mm-hmm. anyway. And like, you know, just uh, your favorite Uncle Edie has been in therapy in one form or another since they were about nine or ten years old. And there have mm-hmm. been times for sure in my life where around ten years ago I had this this kind of daydream that I would have a lot that I would just be like standing at an intersection and I would just burst into Mm-hmm. trillions of atoms and just be everywhere and nowhere all at once and just cease the the pain would end so mm-hmm. like 
believe you me, listener, if you are struggling with feelings of life feeling too much and feeling that, you know, there's no way out. Yeah, no way out or it would be better if or you weren't matters. around. Um, I have been there and I do not feel that way anymore. Same. Mm-hmm. So if it mm-hmm. is, you know, I hope that you can push through those feelings. If you are feeling them, you can get help. Help is available to you and you deserve it. And yeah. you are loved and uh, the world is better with you in it. Yes. Yep. Miss, do you yes. have... A story for us? Yes. Is it and it's, Fun Zone, it's, Bummersville, or Middletown, Kansas? It is all aboard the Fun Zone train. Yes. I mean, it's frustrating. Uh-huh. It's frustrating, but like, it's definitely Fun Zone. Frustratingly Take fun. Take me to the Fun Zone. All right, y'all. All right. Welcome back. Let's take a trip in the not-so-way-back machine to our favorite destination, the Satanic Panic. Yes, 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 miss, miss, miss. I know this one. I know that I know it. Oh, what? From my... From my from um, your hints, you text. did a, a a devil face emoji and a soap uh-huh. emoji. And I am thrilled Evan, about this any, story. The story any rules. Hints? I do not. Uh, okay. I don't. I don't know. Okay. Is it Harkin- soap made from goat's milk from like a satanic goat? You are so close. It's it's hilarious. Oh my god! <laughs> it is amazing how close you are. In homage to Edie's, the satanic panic comes for D and D. I have titled this today: the satanic panic comes for Procter and Gamble. That's right. Yes. <laughs> yes. So. Stupid. It's so stupid. I'm so excited to tell this story. No lie. Okay. (laughs) Remember, not only is Satan real, he and his demons are actively working to steal your soul every day. (laughs) Every decision you make leads you to the Lord or leads you to the devil. Got it? That's right. Got it. Country was primed and ready to believe in some superstition and some rumors. These stories, they're not just like your your shut-in great aunt with the foil hat. This is like the majority of Christians in this country. And yeah. I don't know why, I don't know how, but every time we talk about the satanic panic or I look into it, it blows my mind anew that these are adults, fully grown people who heard unsubstantiated rumors about Satan, a not real person. Or entity and thought that it made perfect sense and was true in a literal way. But then I think about things like the Salem witch trials and the Red Scare of the 50s. And I'm like, jokes on you. Yeah, it's in good company there. Yeah. The look, if you have a Facebook, look on there, right meow. You will see so much of the same old shit. Yeah. Mm. Let's get started. In March 1980. A news article in the Minneapolis Tribune was getting a lot of attention. The article explained the newest threat from Satan was now Procter and Gamble. That's right. <laughs> In 1837, PNG was created by two brothers-in-law who they married sisters and 
the father was like, hey, you're starting a business because one of them made soap and one of them made candles. So that is how Procter & Gamble was started. Damn. And during the Civil War, they won lucrative contracts with the Union Army, which was doubly beneficial because after the war was over, soldiers returned home and wanted to continue using P&G products. Things got really wild in 1880 when Procter & Gamble developed an inexpensive soap that floated in water. That soap was called ivory, apparently. Ooh. Yeah. When the company was started, the logo was a single star that kind of looked more like an X in a circle. And it was stamped onto the company's wooden shipping boxes. After a bit, the single star was altered to resemble an actual star, like, you know, like traditional five points. A few decades after that, P&G updated the logo to 13 stars in a circle to represent the first 13 colonies. Mm -hmm. Perfectly innocent. Yeah. Very patriotic. Perfectly innocent is the theme of this show. Kevin, you the theme absolute rube. Yeah. What yeah. can I say? At some point before 1882, when the logo was trademarked, PNG added a crescent moon with a face inside the circle with the 13 stars. Or like my childhood crush, Mac Tonight, the <laughs> crescent moon head from McDonald's uh -huh. when they had like a late night menu. <gasps> oh, yeah, Mac with the sunglasses? He had sunglasses, oh. he would play piano. Yeah, I, had I so remember that. many of I the like, the... Little kids' toys. I had a big tub full of different Mac Tonight on a motorcycle, Mac Tonight at a piano, Mac Tonight driving a car, Mac Tonight in my dreams, giving me kisses. Oh my gosh! A little, a little bit like that, but not quite. Look, a little different. Okay, well that's disappointing. It should have been Mac Tonight. Listener, you might be wondering why all the logo talk. <laughs> it's because in 1930. The sneaky bastards at PNG introduced the devil. <gasps> the, lo the logo dun, dun, dun. was updated so that Mr. Crescent Moon had a curly beard. Yep. Everything else stayed the same. And it's important to note that this was not like, quote, like the logo. The corporate logo changed every few decades, but this logo was on all Procter & Gamble products from 1930 to 1989. Mm. Okay. Oh, wonder why they changed it. The problem wasn't that Mr. Moon had a curly beard, you idiot. Uh -huh. It was because that there were three curls in the middle of his seductive mm. facial hair that looked mm. like three inverted sixes. And don't just say that's just the number nine, you idiot. Inverted or not, this is a definitive sign of the Antichrist. Six 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 mother. It's the mark of the beast, and it's on all of their products. They're telling yeah. us without telling us. Wake up, people! Wake That's up! Exactly what we're doing. That is exactly where we are. Honestly, this is just like a precursor to all of that bullshit. Further damning was the fact that the curls at the top and the bottom of the crescent follow the curve of the circle, so they kind of end up looking like horns at like the top and the bottom i mean they don't look like horns but i can see what they're saying which like obviously horns the devil it's the devil it's the yeah. mark of the beast so png's logo was just a calling card for beelzebub and they're gonna regret it a lot at the same time obviously there is some other wild ass satanic panic bullshit that was very easily 
just capturing the minds of middle America. There was, for example, one of Edie's favorites, Mike Warnke, future oh, subject of the pod. He's a little bit weird. He's just a little <laughs> bit weird. Mike was a Jesus freak who claimed to be a former Satanist and drug addict turned sober comedian crusader for God. And also, let's not forget, slammed his wife into a wall. Oh, my God. He was doing it for God. Can you just get over it? Yeah, I mean, God they got to just fucking to. give Mike Warnke a fucking break. He wrote a book called The Satan Seller. That was, of course, a, a bestseller where he documented all of his satanic goings on before becoming an evangelical born again Christian. There were orgies, there was alcoholism, there was drug nice. using, there was drug selling. Mike's heroin overdose is what he said contributed to him becoming angry and disillusioned enough for the great deceiver to wiggle his way right into Mike's soul. <laughs> he claimed that he was a high priest and presided over rituals, performed magic spells, summoned demons. He also openly and repeatedly admitted that he was involved in ritualistic sex, kidnapping, and rape, including rape of babies, and so, so much more. Like, that he's How, making up this bullshit to be cool to these yeah. Christians is yeah. just the lamest possible thing. It's so incredible. Like, that, this his whole deal, that story around him, is so interesting. Future subject of the pod, for Definitely. sure. Definitely, yeah. So, however, between Satan and the drugs and his self-proclaimed heroism in Vietnam, eventually Warnke turned into the scariest demon of all, the elusive evangelical stand-up comedian. And Ooh. even if you don't yes. think you know Mike's jokes, you fucking do. For example... If nothing sticks to Teflon... That's my first one! <laughs> how does Teflon... Stick to the pan. Stick to the pan. How do you know when yogurt goes bad? Why do we park on a driveway and on drive, a drive on a parkway? That's all fucking Gallagher's jokes, too. No, and that's fuck? exactly what happened. He was repackaging so many of those, like, one-liners from other comedians and got away he with it. He wishes he was as funny as Gallagher. He wishes. He wishes. And his specials were so weird because essentially they were supposed to be comedy albums. But what they were instead were these like little one line jokes. It wasn't like now where a lot of times a comedian's stand up hour has a central theme that it's mm -hmm. all kind of working around. No, this is just him telling cute little like, how do you know when yogurt goes bad? Like jokes. And it's, it's just set ups. There's yeah, not punchlines. It's just no, setups. It's just setups. <laughs> like, it's not like he answers the yogurt question. It's just that that is the whole thing. And then he intersperses it with things like, I presided over, and he goes into these crazy, crazy stories about how he was like a satanic leader and he was a cult and he had all these orgies and there were these sacrifices. All while talking about driving on a parkway and parking on a driveway. Like, it was. Why is the word big smaller than the word small? <laughs> exactly. Now you're writing like Mike Warnke. That's how he got in. He's like, I'm not like your regular Christian preacher, whatever. I'm just a little bit weird. And I think you are too. So people related to that, yeah. to his not Christian perfection, right? So he was so bedeviled by satan and then he made this incredible turnaround and that is supposed to be the point of mike warnke if he can do it so can you yeah very similar to what's his face the guy 
who starred in uh, L- the Law Enforcement Guide to Satanic Cults. Yes, yes, yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> All of his audience accepted as fact everything he said, and it didn't seem to problem to have problems with sacrifices and orgies and whatever because he was born again. Such a good loophole, y'all. Anyway, turns out all of his Satanism shit he later admitted was false. But don't worry, he still maintains a YouTube channel today talking about the good word. Fuck off. Also, at the same time, there were these super... create. Yeah. At the same time, there's super hip and cool chick tracks being distributed to kids everywhere. Chick tracks were short evangelical stories that were in comic book form targeted to kids by cartoonist Jack Chick. They're super weird and come in such subjects as last rites or why when a Catholic dies, his last rites won't save him because they were extremely anti-Catholic. Okay. Or another one I saw was called The Last Generation, covering whether or not your soul's going to be saved in time because the end times are around the corner. You know, kid stuff. Oh, yes, of course. Another one of Satan's biggest allies during this time was rock and roll. Older people in churches hated rock and roll from the beginning, but it was more like TV, like it'll rot your brains and turn you into a dirty hippie. But by the mid-1970s, rock music wasn't this just there to melt your brain and ruin your financial potential. It was here to steal your real and literal soul. Jim Peters was a champion for Christ in the 70s and 80s, and he was the music director at Zion Christian Life Center in St. Paul, Minnesota. Bet they had some bangers. Bangers. He was also, more importantly, an anti-rock crusader. Starting in 1978, Jim, with brothers Dan and Steve Peters, gained notoriety by instigating record burnings, like huge record burnings. And Dan and Steve also created documentaries, Rock is Your Decision and The Truth About Rock. Christian right. music Jim, bonfire. Remember when uh, George Michael Bluth yeah. was looking for yes. records? <laughs> yes. <laughs> to yep. burn at Anne's Christian music bonfire. That's exactly what's happening. That's the satanic panic right there. Jim, though, was more of a Beyonce and worked best as a solo artist and held his own sermons to deliver the same rock will turn your child into a demon-loving queer message. In the article, Satan, Subliminals, and Suicide, the Formation and Development of Anti-Rock Discourse during the 1980s, one example is offered to show how this issue infiltrated mainstream America one is that it was on the news for all, over a decade, was that yeah. music is satanic and it's corrupting your kids. But one specific event in May 1985, Hugh Downs explains to millions of 2020 viewers, quote, there have been a series of criminal acts reported around the country that have had unique characteristics that link them together. The source of all this is the apparent practice of Satanism. That's the oh, worship apparent. of the devil, which we know that's not what Satanism is, but that's neither here nor there. There was a segment that had police, psychologists, former cult members described perverse, hideous acts that defy belief. Yeah, they really defy belief because they're yeah. unbelievable. Beyond belief. Fact or fiction. <laughs> In an interview with the Minneapolis Tribune, Jim Peters told the interviewer that not only was Morningstar getting our kids through the filth of rock music, but also that he had a copy of Amulets and Superstitions by Egyptologist E.A. Wallace Budge. And wouldn't you know what was in that book? A copy of the P&G logo. Oh. Oh. Now, this might open. be my common sense talking. 
And I know there's no place for common sense in the satanic panic. So string me up. But ancient Egyptian amulets don't have anything to do with the Christian devil. Right? No. Am I wrong? Well, okay. look. <laughs> sure. Look, God is eternal and forever. He created the world. So even before yeah. he brought his only son, Jesus, Henrietta Christ, down <laughs> from, <laughs> from Haven in zero in the year, in the year zero. zero so before then it's still all the a big vibe. god he was just vibing it's the vibe he's vibing yeah. people read this asshole jim peters story and believed it as fact and all of these examples are just to show how the satanic panic itself became so mainstream that's not to say everyone bought it or even that all christians bought it but it was accepted as true by a, a hugely baffling number of people in this country and hmm. platforms on mainstream media yes because platform, it was such exactly. a like acceptable a, a, a uh an eye-catching, ear-grabbing yes. story. Mm-hmm. In November 1980, the PNG rumors started spreading like wildfire in the Midwest. The claims about the logo were this. The owners of Procter & Gamble were practicing Satanists, and that over 40% of all revenue from PNG was donated to the Church of Satan. Then the Church of, of Satan would be so fucking rich. Procter and really Gamble is an enormous company. Billion dollar Truly. company. Yeah. In addition to the Satanism claims, new rumors popped up in 1980 from a Southern Minnesota rumor that the Moon and Stars logo actually showed that the company was owned and run by Reverend Sun Moon and their Unification Church, a.k.a. the Moonies. The Moonies. Oh, mm -hmm. future subjects of the pod. Future subjects of the pod. I didn't really get into it. They have. They used to have these huge, like, mass wedding ceremonies. Mm -hmm. like, oh, on with TV, their guns? With their guns. Oh, that's, like, that's the, the offshoot from yeah. Moon's son, the Rod of Iron Ministries. The Rod of Iron that's the That's yes. the gun that cult. That sounds a little sexy. Oh, I gotcha. It's the, the best. Rod. The future subjects of the Future pot. subjects. In response, P&G issued a statement distributed to news outlets in the Midwest explaining P&G was a public company, aka did not have a single owner, and that leadership were not associated in any way with the Moonies or the devil. Uh, for the most part, that quelled the rumors. About the Moonies, anyway. By December 1981, P&G received over 1,100 calls asking about P&G's relationship with the devil and Satanism. The owners or top brass of PG were Satanists, worshipping at the altar <laughs> of the Morning Star, and they were donated more than 40%. That was nothing, because in July 1982 alone, they received 15,000 calls about whether or not they were in league with the devil. Oh my god. <laughs> and how oh did they respond to that influx of calls, man? They said no. No, that <laughs> they, that they, comes they, later. That comes that later. comes later. That part yeah. comes later. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um cuz that's my favorite part. So like now we went from the Midwest and then it traveled to the West Coast and then it traveled to the East Coast and then it traveled to Florida and the general mm -hmm. south, but it was never at the same time 
So all of these waves would happen, they would quell a little bit, and then a new wave would happen and give it attention, and then it would quell a little bit, and then a new wave would come. Yeah. But how? How was this spreading to so many people, let alone how they're believing it to be true? But this is a 50, more than a 50-year-old logo at this point. How did this start? And there's no concrete answer, but there are two major culprits. A not small handful of small churches... Amway salespeople and yes. a popular Atlanta news weatherman. <laughs> um, the Christian Church of Centralia in Washington State heard from someone who heard from someone who was told all about Lucifer and Procter and Gamble. Our good man even had a flyer that he had been circulating to substantiate his claims. The problem wasn't just showing this to his congregation as if it was a fact, but the fact that it had been copied for everyone to take and give to their friends and family. It showed up in a mobile home bulletin with more than 140 people. It showed up in churches in Western Maryland. It wasn't just a flyer, though. There were also fact sheets printed and distributed to congregations in Florida and leaflets literally poured into New York City, New York State, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania all at one time. They were We've always been posting. We have always been posting. Always. The head office in New York City for Procter & Gamble had to go on the news because there were so many leaflets coming in (laughs) that they had to address it on the news. (laughs) So, oh God, it's Facebook, yeah. it's Twitter, it's it Gab, is. it's Truth it's, Social. We have always been exactly the same. <laughs> as a always race. been As human beings, we're always the same. So Guy Sharp was a lay minister at a Methodist church, an Amway salesman, and a weatherman on a local Atlanta news channel. That's a hell I know. He was not a meteorologist, but he was like a huge personality who everyone loved. He was just one of those local guys. So Tom Tasselmeyer. It's exactly (laughs) who it is. He is a Tom Tasselmeyer. Weatherman guy went after PNG when he heard about the logo. He went to like public events. He went to lectures and on TV, he urged all of his tens of thousands of Southern Christian viewers and his parishioners at church, where he was a lay minister, to boycott PNG products. Amway alone was a particularly popular yes. in less populated areas, and they sold substantially similar products yes. to Procter and Gamble. Yeah. So Amway salespeople going door to door genuinely or otherwise, usually with flyer in hand, would explain that PNG was in league with Lucifer, but Amway was good with God. That's right. Look, don't buy your soaps from Procter and Gamble because don't they're in league it. with Satan. Buy from my multi-level marketing scheme and you too yep. could own your own business. <laughs> Have y'all ever gotten um Amwayed by anybody? gotten no. like roped into a presentation about how you can one time i was scouted by a transamerica um same thing MLM that's right when i was when you went to california yeah i was yep. working at h&m and she oh was just God. like do you want a better life here <laughs> that's yeah. how they fucking yeah. get you yeah and i almost I fell hate, for it do i hate my miserable life you betcha but yeah essentially the same thing it turns out later PNG hired the Pinkertons and Wackenhut to oh. investigate 
how these rumors were started. And they found a ton of them were started by Amway salesmen, like just going door to door. They found the flyer from a friend or they got it at church. In 1985, P&G reached out to the moral majority, Jerry Falwell and Billy Graham, other religious shitheads and potential future subjects of the pod, and begged for help. And they actually came through. Jerry Falwell told the Washington Post, the people who have spent much of the last six years attacking Procter & Gamble for its corporate logo could make better use of their time fighting real and serious problems. Yeah, like the gays who cause hurricanes. Duh. Exactly. Which, like, from a piece of shit, that's a good statement. I mean, pay Jerry Falwell enough, he'll say whatever the fuck. Absolutely. They touted the rumors as outrageous and vicious lies and reminded congregants that gossip is the devil's telephone and it's best just to hang up. David, (laughs) gossip (laughs) is the devil's telephone. It's best to just hang up. However, while the moral majority did do some work, like I said, this was a cyclical problem and it didn't work. All the time. So in 1990, P&G had to establish a toll-free hotline to field calls on the subject. But in 1990, they had at least 350 calls a day about this. They had to have a dedicated phone number for the logo wackos. And when you called, I think they did this on purpose and it makes me love them. If you were calling about the Satanism scandal, you had to press six in the tree, in the I phone tree. And hey, I look. really, I don't think it did them any favors because people freaked out about it. But it was hilarious. Look, corporations are bullshit, but that move is it is delightful. It That's is, great. absolutely. They also began suing individuals for libel. There were at least 14 suits by 1991 including one against our weatherman and four Amway distributors. Um, Most were settled with simply the people issuing public apologies. But however, there was one persistent couple from Kansas who wouldn't give up, was eventually ordered to pay $75,000 and was prohibited from making any statements concerning Procter & Gamble and Satanism. Keep Procter & Gamble's name out your fucking mouth. It's exactly what (laughs) happened. They got slapped and that's what they said. And it worked for a while. But as would happen for the next decade and a half, they continued to resurface. Now, the next flavor of the now certified urban legend is not only were they Satanists, not only were they donating all of their money to the Church of Satan. Now, the president and owner of P&G went on the Phil Donahue show and yes. confirmed everything that they said. This happened in 1982 or 1985 or 1989, or maybe it was actually 1994, but it doesn't actually matter because it absolutely happened. You stupid fucks. There were even like, flyers. I remember about it. seeing the Donahue episode. That's like people were saying yes, like for was, over a decade, they were saying it was this. like incepted into their yes, minds. They see the flyer real. and they're like, oh, wait, I think I do remember seeing that on Donahue. And this is the problem with the satanic panic is that it's genuine. They genuinely believe these things. They genuinely believe Satan is real and all of that. And that allows, I don't know, it kind of, it's, it's just, it's not devious in the way that we're used to. And it's, it's so 
Yeah, once people's brains are are melted enough to kind of believe these things, like as with any truly deeply held belief in a conspiracy, it's it's exactly you can't convince a flat earther that you you cannot dispel something that only exists in rumor. You can't. Yeah. And it is so but, much um, easier to fall into something than to be pulled out of something. People want yes. to believe something, and I get that. One flyer from 1991 said that PNG's president went on Donahue and announced that he was coming out of the closet about his financial support for the Church of Satan. Totally he stated happened. that a, a mm-hmm. large portion of the profits from Procter & Gamble goes to support the church. And then Donahue was asked whether his ties with Satan would hurt business, to which he said, there are not enough Christians in the U.S. to make a difference, which, even though it's not true, fucking infuriated every single one of them. That's so, yeah, that's like exactly the kind of like Facebook um, Christian meme of like... Jesus says, oh, my true followers will like this post. And then yeah. Satan says, no, my the ones who I have will just continue scrolling and ignore. Right. A 1991 Washington Post article did a spotlight on Reverend J. Hurley of Hagerstown, Maryland, pastor of the Greenbrier Baptist Church, who was a fervent believer in the PNG Satanism hoax. He explained that he couldn't buy his favorite brand of toilet paper because it would involve him in devil worship. Quote, <laughs> I didn't buy Folgers coffee either. I'm going to replace that brand with Nestle's. Oh, great. Yeah, Nestle's a great fucking company. Hurley explained that an army chaplain gave him a flyer about the P&G logo and how the company is in line with the devil, and he distributed mm-hmm. the flyer himself to his congregations and told all of them not to buy P&G products. The flyer urged Christians to search the beard for curls on the logo as the devil's mark would appear which is just too close to the actual salem witch trials where their bodies were searched for teats or marks of the devil where a witch is familiar would suckle it's exactly it's just, a mole. It's wow. just a mole it's just a mole it's just a fucking mole it's a skin tag will you get the fuck off of me george snyder was a deacon at that same church was hit particularly hard when he stopped at 7-eleven to pick up soap and he couldn't buy his favorite brand quote I was born and raised on ivory soap. I have sensitive skin and it's a good product, but it was a slap in the face when that gentleman was preaching devil worship and said there weren't enough Christians to make a difference. We are Christians and we make a difference. That's right. The report is so perfectly worded for them. It is. Because they made it up. Because they made it up. Yes, it is a battle cry. Snyder, the reporter told Snyder that no one from P&G had ever been on the Donahue show, to which he replied, uh, well, that's a different story. <laughs> quote, that was, that was a quote. Snyder didn't care or didn't believe the reporter and was pleased to say that the boycott had already spread to the Bethel Assembly of God Church nearby. And of course, the Phil Donahue show was able to confirm so many times that no one, yeah. let alone the president or owner of the company from P&G, had ever been on the Phil Donahue show. They They've even got went the tapes. Through, I know. They even went through each individual episode that people claimed the president of company was on. There was nothing. See what happens without the internet, people. Nobody <laughs> could look it up. There was no way for any normal person to confirm this. Yo, but, even with the internet, it doesn't fucking matter if people can look it up. The, That's right. The the degree to which people can explain 
yep. stuff away is just... It doesn't matter, but still. Mental backflips. So by 94, this was mostly a thing of the past. But in 1995, P&G sued four additional Amway salespeople for spreading false rumors. These four Amway salespeople revived the rumor and started proselytizing door to door. This started because Amway had an internal phone messaging system where I guess employees could just leave messages for each other where he's left a long message explaining that PNG is in line with the devil. Just look at the logo and they give all their money to Satanism. The suit Amazing. was instigated a, or started in 1995 and wasn't resolved until 12 years later in 2007. Cool. And the Amway distributors were ordered to pay $19.25 million <gasps> wow. to PNG. That's For whatever reason, all of the defendants believe that they would be exonerated and were blindsided. President Trump's going to pardon us. We were invited into the Capitol. That's, That's right. correct. It's the people's house. To qu so, quote, it's hard to imagine they'd pursue it this long, especially all the retractions we put out. We're stunned, all of us. And it's because P&G wasn't playing cute with the libel suits from the 80s where they were just accepting apologies. They were done. They had been suing people for over 10 years, and this was still happening. So there was an example to be made. Not saying I agree with it one way or the other, but I don't know that four Amway salesmen can split a $19 million bill. No, they're never getting that cash. Uh -uh. In 2013, P&G announced that because in 1989... They gave in to pressure and they altered their logo. Amazing. But in wow. 2013, PNG announced the return of the Moon and Stars logo. I couldn't find anything about Satanism accusations since then, but since we know the Satanic Panic never left us, it's only a matter of time. Fucking and that excellent. Is what wow, happened wow, wow. when Satanism came for Proctor and Gamble. I feel dirty. I need to take a shower. Yeah, don't Better use, not ivory, use soap. ivory soap. Oh, I am. Fuck oh, I yes. am. It's weighted with the seed of the devil. Mm -mm. What incredible fucking stories, y'all. I had never heard about Rudolph. Me and neither. How, like, sad and tragic and bullshit that was. Um, and I just am always, you know that I'm delighted by every Satanic Panic story. And yes, the Proctor oh, yeah. Gamble logo one is one of my favorites. The Donahue thing and the yeah. dedicated phone line for calls the about line. the logo are my two favorite things about almost just, any Satanic Panic story. They're so fucking and that, good. That call line, that hotline was open for years. Yes. Years. I would it be They're a fly getting, on the wall or to have worked at that phone bank. Um, as someone who worked in a call center, I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you. People don't Dude, call those numbers. Horrible. People do not call those numbers. Do not call customer service because things are going good. All right. Nope. They're right on the end of that call. <laughs> nah. -uh. Well, I'm yeah. glad you enjoyed this episode, Edie. Just yeah, sitting back, too. twiddling your thumbs, sitting, eating bonbons, it. I'm assuming. Obviously, we went from eaten. Middletown, Kansas, right to the mm -hmm. fun zone. And I loved mm -hmm. the journey. Yeah. I'm I'm so glad. What a good way for us to have an episode 74, but to 74. have good stories. Yes, absolutely. Miss, give us out our socials. Oh, well, Let's... if you're interested, if you'd like to, mm -hmm. to check us out, we are on Instagram at 
creepyinqueriespod. You can also hit us up on our email at creepyinqueriespod at gmail.com. If mm-hmm. you are interested in any of the sources we use for our episodes, check us out at creepyinqueriespod.com and our show mm-hmm. sources. And then if you got a minute, why don't you head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and give us a cute little rate and review. It really helps us out. Five stars, or I will tell my entire congregation about the time you went on Phil Donahue and told him (laughs) all about how your chin curlies are the mark of the beast. Yep. And that's a slanderous take you don't want to get into. So just just do the five stars. No. And I'll never settle. Sue me. I dare you. $19 million. She means it. Listener, thank you so much for joining us on this here episode 74, the Billy Joel aged episode. Oh, <laughs> all right. Hey, buddy. And until next time. <sighs> Goodbye. Satan, Satan.